Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson. I'm the Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me Mary Jane Ford, who is our wonderful lay leader this morning, and we welcome each and every one of you here. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, And it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our service by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please join me in our words for lighting the chalice. As we light the chalice, may our souls become its hearth. We join our hearts to the one great flame of bright compassion, beloved community, and fervent justice. May our sparks become a wildfire in the world, lighting the way for all. Good morning. The opening words are from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly right harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs, and you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. Unitarian Universalism is a faith without a creed. There's not a set of beliefs that we all have to agree to and sign on to. So sometimes people ask us, well, then what holds you together? Well, I think a lot holds us together, our covenantal relationships, our seven principles as Unitarian Universalists. And in this church, we have discerned a set of religious values, and out of those religious values arose our mission. It's our common purpose, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. As part of our trying to learn more, to bring more understanding to what we mean by beloved community, we've each week been asking those of us who identify as white to think about a question in the upcoming week. And so my question for those of us who identify as white this week is, have you ever been shopping in a retail store and noticed that a salesperson or a manager was following you everywhere you go and not letting you out of their sight? and realized that they probably think you're going to try to steal something, and then looked around at the other shoppers who were not being followed and realized that that was because of the color of your skin. What message would that send? How would it make you feel? Let's think about that in the week to come. The meditation reading is... It's from You Can't Be Neutral on a Moving Train by Howard Zinn. To be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic. It is based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty, but also of compassion, sacrifice, courage, and kindness. What we choose to emphasize in this complex history will determine our lives. If we see only the worst, it destroys our capacity to do something. If we remember those times and places, and there are so many, 
where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us the energy to act and at least the possibility of sending this spinning top of a world in a different direction. And if we do act in however small a way, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. The future is an infinite succession of presents, and to live now as we think human beings should live, in defiance of all that is bad around us, is itself a marvelous victory. This is the time in our service where we breathe together, breathing in and breathing out, feeling the loving presence of those all around us. We follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, place from which our best selves might emerge, that spark of the divine within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that in this congregation, human sounds and the sounds of small children are a part of that sacred silence. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of sacred silence together. Memory 
Janine Shepard had a lifelong dream of competing in cross-country skiing at the Olympics on behalf of her home country of Australia. She was out on a morning bike ride with some of her teammates, part of their training for the Olympics, headed toward the Blue Mountains right outside of Sydney, Australia. They had reached her favorite part of the ride, the foothills. She stood up on her bike to get more power in her pedaling. She could feel the cold mountain air in her breath. She basked and the sun warmly shining on her face, and the sunlight streaming into her eyes. And then everything went dark. A speeding utility truck had hit her, knocking her unconscious, breaking her neck and back in six places, fracturing her ribs on the left side in five places, crushing her right arm, and leaving her with internal bleeding and multiple life-threatening injuries. Medics airlifted her to a hospital in Sydney that had a specialized spinal unit. When she arrived at the hospital, her blood pressure was 40 over zero. As Janine Shepard says it herself when she talks about it these days, I was having a really bad day. She was paralyzed from the waist down. She spent 10 days in the ICU before the internal bleeding finally stopped and they could bring her in for surgery on her back. Her lower back was crushed. The surgeon spent hours removing fragments of bone from her spinal cord. They took out some of her ribs to help them rebuild her back. The surgery was at least somewhat successful, though, because she began to get movement and feeling again in some of her toes. However, she was told she would never ski again and might not ever walk again. After some time, they were finally able to move Janine to the acute spinal unit, which would be the first step in her long road to rehabilitation and recovery. Here is Janine Shepard herself describing life in that acute spinal unit. They moved me from intensive care to acute spinal. I was lying on a thin, hard spinal bed. I had no movement in my legs. I had tight stockings on to protect from blood clots. I had one arm in plaster, one arm tied down by drips. I had a neck brace and sandbags on either side of my head. 
and I saw my world through a mirror that was suspended above my head. I shared the ward with five other people. And the amazing thing is that because we were all lying paralyzed in the spinal ward, we didn't know what each other looked like. How amazing is that? How often in life do you get to make friendships, judgment-free, purely based on spirit? And there were no superficial conversations as we shared our innermost thoughts, our fears, and our hopes for life after the spinal ward. I remember one night, one of the nurses came in, Jonathan, with a whole lot of plastic straws. He put a pile on top of each of us and he said, start threading them together. Well, there wasn't much else to do in the spinal ward, so we did. And when we'd finished, he went around silently and he joined all of the straws up till it looped around the whole ward. And then he said, okay, everybody, hold on to your straws. And we did. And he said, right, now we're all connected. And as we held on and we breathed as one, we knew we weren't on this journey alone. And even lying paralyzed in the spinal ward, there were moments of incredible depth and richness of authenticity and connection that I had never experienced before. And each of us knew that when we left the spinal ward, we would never be the same. After six months, Janine's parents were finally able to take her home in a wheelchair still wrapped in that plaster body cast. After she got home, Janine got depressed. She wanted her old body back. She wanted her life back. But then she started to think about and remember her friends in that spinal ward, the connections, the hope, the courage of those fellow human beings in circumstances so like her own. And slowly, eventually, over time, she realized that she was going to be able to accept her new condition. She began to think about how she might build a new life. She says, I stopped asking myself, why me? And realized, why not me? I thought, maybe rock bottom is the perfect place to start. And in that uncertainty, she found a new creative freedom to begin imagining a new life such that one day when she heard an airplane fly overhead, she looked out her bedroom window at the plane and thought, well, if I can't walk anymore, I might as well learn to fly. Mom, she cried out, I'm going to learn to fly. That's nice, dear, her mom replied from another room. And Janine did learn to fly. She booked flight training with a nearby school. She went over the next day. They lifted her into a plane, body cast and all. And once they were in the air, her instructor gave her control of the plane because she could still use her hands and arms. He pointed toward the Blue Mountains and said to fly toward them. And so her new life began right above the spot where her tragic accident had happened. She eventually learned to walk again. She eventually got first a single plane license and then a succession of more complicated licenses until she finally got her commercial license and also one of those aerobatic licenses, you know, where they fly the plane upside down and go in hoops and all of that. Just less than 18 months after Janine Shepard left that spinal unit, she began her new calling 
teaching other people to fly at that very same school where she had first learned how to take a small plane out over the Blue Mountains. The theme we've been exploring this month in our religious education program is the spiritual theme of emergence. The dictionary defines emergence as to become manifest, to rise from a process of becoming. I wanted to share Janine's story with you this morning because I think it so powerfully illustrates how, how, so much how the emergent, how transformation and change happen in our individual lives, even if it's not on as dramatic a basis as hers was. Her story demonstrates how so often something new arises out of change that has been forced upon us, even sometimes difficult or even tragic circumstances. Now, I want to be careful to state clearly, we're not talking about a cliche here like God works in strange and mysterious ways to somehow justify tragedy as being ultimately good. What happened to Janine was random and terrible and not part of some master plan. It was how she responded to it that allowed the emergence of her new passion. Janine's story also shows how so often, in order to be able to say yes to something new, we have to be able to let go of something else that is no longer healthy and sometimes no longer even possible for us. And often, for transformation to emerge in our lives, we have to learn a new perspective. We gain a more complex understanding about life. Later in that TED Talk I showed you, Janine says, I learned that I am not my body and you are not yours. And so she says that if we learn to look beyond the superficial and to help each other to try to live vulnerable, authentic lives, allow the ultimate creative expression of who we really are to emerge, our collective liberation and bliss might just become emergent also. We need relationship. We need belonging for beneficial emergence to occur. After all, like the folks in that acute spinal unit, we are all interconnected by millions or billions of metaphorical straws. Non-plastic metaphorical straws, for sure. <laughs> this brings me to the scientific theory called emergence. In science, emergence theory is the study of how creative and complex systems arise that are greater than the sum of their constituent parts. The system comes to hold properties that none of its individual components do. Examples include how life itself first arose on our planet and then evolved from single-cell organisms into ever more complex life forms, how energy transitions into matter, how fish school and birds flock together, moving as one with such grace and coordination with no apparent leader. And the natural examples go on and on and on. Scientists are studying whether the natural laws, the rules by which each of the individual components of these systems adaptively interact in such ways that create something more complex and creative. Scientist Harold J. Morowitz takes this even a step further and applies it to human social systems. Morowitz even describes a spiritual or theological aspect of this. For Morowitz, our ethics, the rules by which we 
follow in our interactions with each other and all that is, make us partners with the imminence of the continuing emergence of God in our world. Now, whether we agree with Morrowitz's version of theism, it does seem that emergence theory supports Janine Shepard's idea that our individual and communal emergences are linked and together might have the potential to result in something even greater. I recently saw a video featuring Michelle Alexander, author of the book The New Jim Crow. Unitarian Universalist across the country read, studied, and discussed her book together a few years ago as a part of our annual Unitarian Universalist Common Read. In the video, she reminded me of another aspect of emergence. We most often don't know exactly what is emerging until the full emergence has happened. I want to share that video with you now. You know, I have been having some trouble with the frame of resistance um, for some time. And I understand completely why the term, the phrase, the rallying cry emerged um, following Trump's election. It makes complete sense to me. But I think we've got to think beyond resistance. Resistance is inherently defensive, and as I see it, we are part of a bold and beautiful revolutionary movement that aims to rebirth this country. And this movement isn't new. Um, we can trace this movement in some ways to the nation's founding with the first runaway slaves and um, the native people who fought for their land and their territory. There has been a yearning for freedom for all people um, since this nation's founding. And there have been great revolutionaries, Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman and Ella Baker and Martin Luther King Jr. and Anne Braden and Cesar Chavez, and we can go on and on naming the incredible revolutionaries that have helped to remake America. Uh, and as I see it, Trump is the resistance. There is a revolutionary spirit alive and well that is trying to birth a new America. And Trump and his cronies are resisting, wanting to take America back. And if we are going to do the work that is required um, to build truly transformational movements um, in which there's any hope of us building a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-faith, multi-gender democracy in which every voice and every life truly matters. We are going to have to connect and tap into, embrace that revolutionary spirit um, and the, you know, spirits of the ancestors, the freedom fighters who came before us and say, we're not about resistance. We're about building a revolutionary movement um, for the collective liberation of us all. Mm -hmm.
I'm intrigued by her idea that we may be the revolution, that those of us who want to struggle together with compassion and love to build that beloved community and secure our collective liberation, we are creating the new emergence and that the forces of bigotry and hate are the resistance against that new emergence. And yet... As I said before, we can't know what will actually emerge while it's still happening. So we have to make sure that the ethical and spiritual rules we are following, our own emergence, contributes to that greater system, that beloved community about which we dream. And I don't know about you all, but for me, that can be hard sometimes lately. With the barrage of negativity and hate, half-truths and outright lies that are coming at us constantly these days, with images of people, including children, in cages, with only cement floors to sleep on and not even enough room to stretch out, with children dying in the custody of our own government, with two mass shootings in less than 24 hours recently, with almost daily reports of authorities apprehending one or more young white men with multiple weapons of war who have threatened synagogues, churches, schools, retail stores, gay bars. It can be difficult for me sometimes to act and feel in healthy, constructive ways. It can be far too easy for me to want to lash back out for anger, fear, and even rage to emerge within me. I keep wondering when one of those young guys will avoid apprehension until it's too late and commit the next mass killing. So I think think we have to honestly acknowledge that we are living in a time of extraordinarily elevated anxiety. We are experiencing social trauma. And no matter which side of the political spectrum one is on, to reach for our best selves, for our best selves to have any chance of emerging, we have to acknowledge these things we're feeling. We have to find ways to talk about them with other people. Not talking about it is not really an option, at least not a healthy, life-giving option. And I believe, I believe this church is a place where we can have such honest, and vulnerable conversations. We can be there for one another. Certainly, I want you to know that your ministers are here for you during these times. This church, this congregation, is a place where we can both find respite and seek the emergence of our best and truest selves, the people we are called to be both individually and communally. I want to close by letting you know how fortunate I feel, how grateful I am that I get to do ministry with this congregation and with our extraordinary senior minister who happens to also be just a lot of fun, Meg Barnhouse. I am moved by what we have already become as well as the church that is still emergent. You heard earlier about the new ways of doing religious education that are emerging. Our religious education ministries are brimming with potential and filled with fantastic people. I have no doubt that wonderful new ways of being and understanding will emerge for both our religious education learners and those facilitating the programs and classes. 
with our beautiful new renovations and expansion, so much can emerge now that we cannot yet even fully imagine the potentialities. New ministries are already emerging, such as a visitation program for older church members who can't attend church on a regular basis anymore. So much is already happening. So much is yet to become. I can't wait to witness and be a part of the emergence of all that we have only begun to dream. Much love, all blessings. Amen. Please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.